Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise yes, the Lord. sir. Howdy. Yeah, it's just a beautiful day. And just every, even, I, I, it's hard to get over the fact that even when we're struggling with things or someone we love or know is struggling with things, we can still get up every day grateful and thankful. Yeah. You know, Arliss was saying a while ago, this is the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I was taking my little two-legged cat outside this morning, and we was walking out the carport into the yard, and I said the same thing to the cat. I said, I said, Dan, this is the day the Lord's made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it as he was rounding the front porch this morning. So, but anyway. <laughs> it, tell it, tell it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you ready? bear with us we've never done this song before but i really think that for flash mob church and all that is it is this kind of embodies that and it's not a building the church is not a building we know that it that we take the church with us and that acceptance and that love and all that goes with it goes with us Yeah. 
my. Heaven's not my home. 
remission of sin and you shall receive the Holy Ghost but it goes on to say this promise is for you and for your children and all those that are afar off and I just praise him for it so if you just sing this last chorus one more time and think about that when you think about your children today
the older I get, I think that the one thing that I cherish the most about the promises of God is that there's no expiration date. Mm. Amen. <clears throat> My mama died. She'd never seen me anything but in jail or, or prison, high or drunk, or running from the cops. She never saw this me. But before she passed away, I, I didn't know it at the time. <clears throat> Someday I'll share that with you, but. I didn't know all the years growing up that my mama was a backslider. Didn't know anything about it. She came from the mountains of eastern Kentucky, so she, she had an accent she never lost. <laughs> I remember when some of my younger brothers and sisters were little, mama would rock them in a rocking chair. She would sing this song about a, about cinnamon. Why in the heck mama would sing about cinnamon? And then she sing about Cinnamon trying to hide from some rocks. She'd sing, oh, cinnamon, rocks won't hide you. I never could comprehend why cinnamon was trying to hide and why rocks wouldn't hide them. <laughs> I learned when I got older that she was actually singing an old song called Old Sinner Man. Rocks, they won't hide you. I didn't know none of that growing up. But I, after I found this way, it was quite a few years after I found this way that I was sitting with my first pastor and, and we were talking about eternity and, and I was telling him that eternity is a hard thing to grasp, especially when you have loved ones that, that died without knowing them. It's a hard thing to grasp. It just is. And I told him, I said, the biggest thing that I struggle with is knowing that my mama was lost, you know. And his eyes got all big around. He said, brother Arliss, your mama didn't die lost. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I prayed her through before she died. I know she didn't die lost. I said, what? God's promises, they're valid as long as we're breathing. Amen. And then the cool part is, even when we're done breathing, somewhere along the line, I know my mama prayed for her wayward boy. You know, in her lifetime, she never saw that boy anything but wavered. One of these days, baby. Yeah. You gotta pardon me, and I know we're all gonna run to Jesus. But I'm sure he won't be offended if I make one stop first. Because I know somewhere up there right now, my mama's got her head down and her hands up. And I don't know what she's doing. I don't know if she's twirling in circles. I don't know what she's doing. But I know she's got her head down worshiping God. One of these days. When I get there, no, huh? When I get there, and I'm going. I'm going to come up right behind her. Hey! Well, I know my mama, she ain't going to lift her head. Get away, dude. <laughs> hey! She probably ain't going to look up then. Then I'm going to get right in her ear and say, Hey, mama! I made it! Those promises don't have an expiration date on them. So you that are parents and grandparents, Keep praying those prayers yeah. because those yeah. prayers have life in them long after we meet our reward. Yeah. They've got life in them forever. That's right. That's right. That's right. So you started. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, can you help me today, young man? I appreciate the way Nathan will just do whatever I ask him to do. If Nathan was your doorman today, 
that just gives you a good example about the way he's willing to help folks. I'm glad he's that way. Nathan, why don't you uh You are, dude. And we're going to put that to the test down through the years. I guarantee you. Lord Jesus, we just come to you today, yes, Lord thank God, you, Lord. thanking you for another day to yes, Christ, Lord Jesus. God. Lord, your word says we know not the day nor the hour, Lord yes, God. Yes, thank you, Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you. We all want to thank you for a place yes, to gather, Jesus, Lord God, where it's Jesus. free, Lord Jesus. Where we don't have to hide yes, from, thank you. from thank you, Jesus. everybody to worship you, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, we know that there's people that do, Lord God. Touch them, and touch them. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you bless them, Lord God. Yes. That, that you will watch over them, Lord Jesus. And now, Lord Jesus, I just want to ask that you bless this offering yes. and take Thank it to the good of your kingdom, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. And use it for what you will, Lord God. Lord Jesus, we worship you, Thank we praise you, you and we, we love yes. you, Lord God. In your holy name we pray, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> first today, huh? <laughs> you got to watch Nathan. He'll double dip. He'll come around again. He <laughs> got me twice last Sunday. <laughs> now, before we get started today, I want to I want to talk to you about something. Um. First of all, I want to say that there are a lot of things that we can say. Uh, there's a lot of things we can say that no one will know whether or not we mean them until the opportunity arises to follow through. Like it's an easy thing to call somebody brother, and it's pretty easy for a lot of other guys to call you brother. Um, but you really won't know that until you need a brother. Then you'll know. Who your brothers are. Yeah, that's so, being a preacher, I know, especially in this area, I'm well aware of its history. Uh, Jesus' name got here just after the 1900s started, and I know there isn't anything that I can say that somebody in here hasn't heard 300 times already. Only find out that it really it wasn't meant and it wasn't followed through with. So, I just want to tell you that. I'm very well aware of the fact that man's going to answer for every idle word. Yeah. That one scares the plug out of me. Idle word. That means when you're yapping, your mouth's moving and your brain ain't. Those words. So I make it a point not to tell or not to say, I'm going to be this or I will be this to you unless I already know and have it made up in my mind and resolved and have the discipline to be exactly that. But again, I know that those things won't be proven until there's an opportunity for them to be proven. So, and I'm okay with that. I've been here enough and lived here now, the end of February, made 20 years. I'm well educated in the Tri-Cities area and the spiritual environment, okay? I haven't said that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a statement and over time, you'll get to see that this is true. Uh, I have the opportunity to follow through with it. And that statement is that should you ever feel impressed with anything, about the church or about anything going on, you have a hundred percent, not just permission, but I, I'm asking you to bring it to me. Shoot me a text, call me on the telephone. I mean, talk to me after church, anything you have on your mind. Now, I haven't said that. That doesn't mean I'm always gonna, right? But I will listen 
and, and I definitely won't get mad about it. The only time that I would ever get angry instantly in a conversation would be if somebody was attacking somebody else. That, that, I, I don't have any patience for that. I wouldn't expect anybody in here to ever do such a thing. But if you ever get anything on your mind about the church or, you know, about the direction we're going or about something God has impressed you with, you know, that we need to consider, please let me know. Because you're ready for this? This is going to be, this, this is revelatory, I'm telling you. The pastor doesn't always get everything first. I know, we've been taught for 30 years that God, you can't even have something come up in your life unless a preacher hears from God first. That's a bunch of hogwash. Anybody's ever told you that if you've got a job change coming or a location change coming, that God will tell them first? That's just a manipulation factor. That's all that was. You can't find no Bible for that. If you talk to God, God will talk to you. Okay? So having said that, uh, for the last few months, I've had something on my mind. Uh, and I guess in order to make this make sense to you, I have to tell you that... When God first started dealing with me uh, about Flash Mob Church, He visited me. Uh, I was out by the shed. I can't remember what I was doing. Something with the garden. I was learning the hard way that uh, gardens work. I thought it was a hobby. Well, guess what? It ain't a hobby. And I didn't know that until I started. When you're out in the red clay on the top of the mountain in Tennessee and you cook with that clay, you realize... How much do I really need those tomatoes? <laughs> and I'm out there minding my own business, and God starts talking to me, and he gives me the name Flash Mob Church, and he tells me what it's going to be. And he tells me that it's going to be something that we can have a service out in the park or in the street or, or in the parking lot at Walmart. And I know you guys have heard this before. I'm going somewhere. And he dealt with me about that, and I was like, okay, God, that's awesome. And I think I was sitting out there next to the shed, and I, I think I called Stacy that same day and told her about it, what God had given me. I was like, I never heard nothing like that. And neither has anybody else. But <laughs> so anyway, I had already made statements to God and everybody that listened. I would never pastor again. Never. And the reason why is because I knew what it was. I'd done it before. And anybody that just wakes up one day and says, I think I want a pastor has no clue what it is. Okay? Or they're not gonna they're not gonna do their due diligence. They're not gonna fast for every single person in the congregation they pastor and their children and their children's children and their great Aunt Myrtle that they tell you to pray for too. They're not gonna do all that because it's work. And the ones that do know exactly what it entails to be a real Bible pastor. And I've been through it before, and I thought God was done with me, and I was happy on my hillside in the red clay cooking over tomatoes. I was good with all that. Then he started speaking to me about going and doing things in different places. And I was like, well, that's awesome. I, thought, I can sign up for that, you know. And see, God's, God's slick. <laughs> because God knew already if he'd come and said, I want you to pastor again, I'd be like, <laughs> I know hey, God. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's what I would have said. There'd been no way. And I'd have called God the devil, not intentionally, probably for six months and been miserable until finally one day I'd have said, fine, okay, fine. But that's not the way God came. He came in the way he knew I would be more accepting of. And I said, all right, God, I'll do it. That sounds awesome. And, and I'll let some people know. Well, then God started to send people. Not just, uh, let's have church here this month. Or let's do, you guys want to come next month and do church out of the park? It'll be awesome. Not just that, but started to send people to me who were 100% sincere. 
about their pursuit of God. And there was no denying it. No ulterior motives. Just genuine, sincere people that loved God and wanted more God in their life. And he started sending them to me. And then I realized, about a month into it, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like Homer Simpson said, don't. No, that's right. <laughs> he got me. <laughs> so anyway, we've been in this a little over a year now. And for some several months, I've been realizing that where God gave me the vision for Flash Mob Church, and in my mind, that was a whole vision, okay? And that was it. There's going to be church once a week, and then, you know, not always in here. You know, that's great. I can sign up for that. That's awesome. That's cool. I like that. Well, then God started dealing with me about the fact that this is no longer the, 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 the makeup of uh, uh, just a Flash Mob type of a ministry here. And started dealing me about the fact that flash mob church, so it was what he gave me at first, is not to be the whole makeup of what we're doing, but now it is to be an arm of what it is that we're doing. And what I'm saying by that, what I'm trying to express to you is that God started dealing me about the name flash mob church and about what its ministry is, that Flash Mob Church is not the whole ministry of what we're doing anymore, though that's what I wanted it to be. It is not. It has changed from that. Mm -hmm. That what we're doing is we're having church services, and different people are coming, and many different <coughs> people are on the edges. And God started dealing me about this, and then started dealing me about the name, and for months, and I kept going back and forth over, like, okay, God, well, no, God, that kept, well, okay, God, well, no, God. And then I get a phone call from one individual, well, name her name, but her initials are Beth, and she says, she's talking to me, and she had a few things to talk to me about, and then she gets to the last one, and in my mind, from her tone of voice, I could see her on the phone going, <laughs> oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, and I can see the I can see the internal struggle. Finally, I said, "Beth, spit it out." And I can take it. I promise you, just spit it out. I'm pretty tough. I can take it. And she goes, "It's the name." <laughs> what? And she goes, "Flash mob church." And I said, "Are you serious?" And she said, "Yeah." And I said, "How long has God been doing you about this, Beth?" And Beth says, "Well, it's been a little while." And I said, "Whoa, oh, me too." And if you told me a little while ago, I would have been fighting back and forth with God thinking, okay, nobody is going to understand this. But now, remember how I started this conversation? That when you've been in this area for a long time, preachers can tell you all they want to. You can talk to me about anything. But those of you that have been around for a while have took them up on their word and found out that, no, you cannot talk to them about anything, especially if it's not something they've already come up with. Amen. Okay? So, I mean, so I understand. I do, I understand, I get it. I've been here 20 years, I get it. I've been on that end of it too. So then, it's just a little while later, and I think the next day or something, and I'm talking to Stacy, and I happen to mention Stacy, and guess what Stacy said? <laughs> You're probably gonna think I'm making this up. I'm like, what? She says, well God's been dealing with me a little while about it too. It's great. <laughs> I said, <laughs> okay, so look, I think one thing that we have proven here is I need you guys, and there honestly isn't anything that if you come to me, I don't care if it's something completely opposite of what I'm doing or saying, look, I'm not 
Well, I am the old man in the mountain. I live in a mountaintop in Plumville, but <laughs> yes, I'm not the first one that always hears from God. I'm not. And I've been living long enough for God and, and bang my head against enough walls to know that God will talk to his people. And if there's anything that I've been trying to, to, to convey to everybody in the time that we've been together is that you are not any less important to God than anybody that stands in a pulpit. And God will talk to you sometimes a lot quicker than he will me. And when he does, again, I might not always right away go, oh, that's great, yeah. I might be like, okay, all right, give me some time. I'm going to chew on that. And when I tell you that, I promise you, I will miss meals over that, and I will pray over that. I promise I will, okay? But you can talk to me about anything. Sometimes God will tell you something to confirm to me what it is that my thick head ain't been able to wrap around for a while. And that's what this was. Any one of you guys that talk to me about anything, I believe you when you say God's been dealing with you. I don't believe there's one person in this church family that's going to come to me and say, God's been dealing with about something, and you're lying? Right. I, I wouldn't. No. I would stick up for you. To anybody that would say such a thing. I believe in you. I do. I love every one of you guys. And I trust you. I need you. And we need you. And God needs you. Amen. So having said that. Okay. I finally heard. <laughs> so. Now I am accepting of the fact. That God has hornswoggled me. <laughs> and what we're doing is. We have a church. Right where the, the main body, the main function, uh, isn't going to be like everywhere else. I don't think I could ever become that. But it's going to be something that people will be able to understand and wrap their brain around and say, okay, I get that. But the flash mob church is going to be the arm of the church that does go out where people are, like we were told by Jesus to do. Yes. So, having said that, I'm also aware, and I do not expect everybody that comes to services to be involved in flash monsters. So please, if you've been feeling any pressure about that or dreading the day when I'm going to announce it, you don't have to come. And neither I nor anyone else here, when we see you in the next regular service, if we have some staying here, I'm not sure. If I see you in the next regular service, neither me nor anyone that participates in the flash mob service, the flash mob ministry, is going to look at you like, uh-huh, where was you? <laughs> that won't fly. That's why anywhere I've ever pastored, if they had two services on Sunday, they didn't have the second one for long after I started pastoring. Because you need to have time with your families. Yes. If you're in church seven days a week and 12 times a week, well, I guess your whole week can probably walk on water in your bathtub. But meanwhile, you're going to lose your kids. You'll never win your neighbor. Uh -huh. And you're going to wake up one day when your kids are grown and gone. You're going to look at that spouse across the table and realize you're living with a stranger. Uh -huh. I've been in the church since the early 90s, and I've seen this play out over and over and over again. Just because a preacher wakes up one day and decides he wants to have church five nights a week does not mean you should be in church five nights a week. And I heard it preached 30 years, not for sake of assuming yourselves together. And by God, that means whatever I call service. Mm -hmm. And that they preached that really good up until COVID hit. Because right. mm -hmm. you know why? Mm -hmm. For 30 years, the ones that paid the price were the saints. Mm -hmm. 
Because when it was family reunion, guess who couldn't go? We got church. When your family showed up at your house, guess what? You had to leave them because we got church. Yeah. And my preacher would be looking at me funny and preaching about forsaking the assembly yourself together. He'll get a word the next time I come in the door. And I've seen it play over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not mocking the church. But it's time we talked about some things. Yeah. It's time we changed some things. Yes. And just because something's been done the same way for 30 years don't mean it's right. Don't. It don't. You need to win your family. Amen. If you win your whole neighborhood and lose your family because you're in church seven nights a week, you lost. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a lot. I get that everywhere I go. So here's what I want to bring to you today, okay? We're going to have what they would refer to as a rebranding. <laughs> We're not eliminating the flash mob church part of it. Again, it's going to be the arm that goes out and gets stuff done. And the ones that want to can. The ones that can help in any other way can. Okay? And the ones that don't ain't going to be looked at funny on Sunday. It's not going to fly here. Amen. And if anyone ever does look at you funny on Sunday, just give me a wink and a nod, point at them, and we'll, we'll have us some counseling after church. It'll be real good. Amen. So, God has been dealing with me. I've got a pretty good name. I like it, and it makes sense to me. From this point forward, I feel it's the will of God for us to refer to our church as the bridge. Yes. Now, the word bridge is a noun and a verb. It depends how you use it. I point out a bridge over there and say, look at that bridge. It is a noun. It's a thing. But if I bridge the gap between where somebody that's lost is and where God is, I bridged that gap for them. That is an action verb. And we are going to be an action verb kind of church. Yes. So the name bridge, the bridge, it explains it. I, I said that name to somebody and they said the exact same thing to me back. Bridging the gap. I was like, whoa. Okay, God. <laughs> All right. But that's what a church's function is. The church is never intended to be just for us. Yeah. I like what I get here, and I'm always going to get mine, I promise you. Mm. But we're supposed to be in existence to help somebody that doesn't know him like we do bridge the gap from where they are and where he is. Now, fair square warning, you either drive on a bridge or you walk on it. In the soul-saving business, in the soul winning business, you will be walked on. You will be run over. Sometimes won't have a chance to catch the tag of that car, the plate. You won't see it. Heard that. You'll be seeing them little birdies like in the cartoon. <laughs> Somehow, you got to take some time, decompress, keep praying until all that's gone and get right back out there again so someone else can walk on you and get to the Jesus that you know. Okay? That makes sense to everybody? Amen. We're going to make up cards and all that good stuff. Also, I want you to pray about two other things. One, uh, Beth had it on her heart and brought it up, and I was excited when she did, and I've been trying to push and kick her and everything else. And she's in that busy season of life, 
She's not like uh, uh, me and Kitty and, and, and Travis and Lori that have the run of the house and everywhere else we want to go because all our youngins are growing and gone. It's a pretty nice place to be in life, I might add. <laughs> but she's still in that really hectic Dagwood Bumstead area of life. And those, you know, Dagwood Bumstead cartoon, every day he's late for work, runs through the door, and runs clean over the mailman. The dude is always running. All you see is a blur. That's the season of life she in. She's going to be starting a, uh, a women's uh, devotion and prayer time, uh, and it's going to be once a week, and she'll have more announcements on that uh, in the future. She gets ready to do it. It'll be online, so you can do it from the comfort of your own home. Uh, hopefully somebody can help Lori be able to connect, but uh, we'll work all that out. <laughs> but that's going to be awesome. And then the other thing I'd like you to pray about is us having uh, a second service. Okay, the reason why is because there are many things that I need to teach on. There really are. There, there are. We, we, need to, we need to see what the book has got to say about stuff and see if it lines up with stuff that we've had just dumped in us over the years. If it lines up, well, that's cool. We'll keep it that way. And if it don't, we'll figure out a way to adopt what the book says about things, right? But also, as people start to come in, there's got to be the evangelistic preaching for the ones that don't know Jesus, okay? The ones that don't know him at all, like you, like you all do. So pray about that, all right? Uh, we need to and we will. We're just God's time. I don't want to have a service just to have a service. We're not punching the clock. God's not ready for a second one yet, and we aren't either, but I really feel that in order to do our job well, and for me to do my job well, and to be what you deserve me to be in your life with God, that we probably need to go to two services soon, okay? So pray about that. Right. Any questions? Except for Nathan. <laughs> I know what his question is. What chapter, brother? <laughs> Glad you asked, Nathan. All right, that's what I was going to ask. Okay, so from now on, and we're going to have the, the Facebook page and all that done so people know that services at the bridge, and I'll put a thing on there. Because there's a lot of people that pray for us. I'm not lying to you. There's people in six, seven different states that pray for Flash Mob Church. So we're going to share this with them so they know what's going on. Uh, and we'll get all that caught up. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me here. Uh, and we're going to turn to the Bible. Uh, Nathan, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. All right. Hey. <laughs> Mikey. You're welcome. What verse? Oh my goodness. There we go. Never happened. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse number 24. Thank you. You're welcome. Genesis 3 and 24. If you found it, you say, I found it. Found, found it. it. All right. So he, God, drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. That thing's still there somewhere. Ain't that amazing? <coughs> then chapter 4, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Can't get nothing by her. <coughs> and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain was a tiller of the ground. It's funny they tell what Abel did first, even though he's a second son. Notice the, the break in chronology. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, 
an offering unto the Lord. Did you know that Cain was the first one to ever bring an offering to God? What a fall! To go from the first person to ever bring an offering to God to being the first one to ever commit a murder and then to have it be your brother you murdered. So be careful of a prideful spirit. <coughs> Process of time it came to pass. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. Now, if you can turn to the right until you come to 1 Samuel chapter number 6, please. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter number 6. Well, if you get to 2 Samuel, you went too far. Sure. 1 Samuel. Chapter 6 and verse 7. I'm going to start sending my notes tonight for you. There you go. <laughs> Samuel 6 and 7. Everybody got it? Yeah. All right. Now, therefore, make a new cart. Now, now, you need to understand that the Ark of the Covenant had been lost by the people of God. The people of God had been backslid for a long time. Eli was a priest. He had sons that were just filthy, nasty. And they went out to war with the Philistines and they take the box, the Ark of the Covenant with them, and not only does their army get wiped out, but they lose it. So now it's with the Philistines and, and the power of God kills a bunch of them and now they're trying to figure out how to send it back. We don't want this thing after all. And this is what they say. Now therefore make a new cart, take two milch kind, cows, on which there has come no yoke, Okay, so they're wild cows, never been under yoke. Tie the cows to the cart and bring their calves home from them. Separate the mother cows from their babies. And while you're at it, put some ropes around these cows that have never had a yoke. Huh. And take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and put the jewels of gold, which you return him, God, for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof. Send it away that it may go. And see, if it goes up by the way of his own coast of Bethshemesh, then God has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that happened to us. In other words, if these cows had never had a yoke and got a rope around them and got their babies back here in a barn probably crying, if these cows just walk on down the road, you're going to know that's God. But if they just get crazy and start bucking and coming back to the babies, and we're going to know God had nothing to do with this. And the men did so, and they took two milk kine, tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. They laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of their emeralds, emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Bethshemeth. They went right down the road. Mm. Mm. And they went along the highway, low wing mooing, crying as they went. They weren't happy about it, but they weren't the ones driving. They turned not aside to the right or the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them to watch. They went unto the border of Bethshemesh, and they of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. These are children of Israel. And the cart 
came into the field of Joshua. It didn't stay on the road and go to Jerusalem. It came into the field of Joshua, a Bethshemite, and stood there where there was a great stone. And they claved the wood of the ark, the cart. They offered the cows a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. They haven't named the stone yet. And the men of Bethshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. They knew God had done all this. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord. For Ashdod one, for Gaza one, for Ascalon one, for Gath one, for Ekron one. Last verse. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the, both the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, where they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remains unto this day in the field of Joshua, the Bethshemite. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word today. And ask you today, Father, to help me do a good job, help me to make sense, and help this to get across, Father, in a way that not only we'll all understand, but in a way we can apply in our lives. I ask you, Lord, to do all these things for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. You can be seated today. Now, church is sacred cows. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up topics and teach on topics that have been taught in church for generations and we're going to teach on them and we're only going to use now this is a novel idea nothing but Bible mm. and we're going to learn what God has to say about all the things that have been preached for generations to find out if they've been preached the right way if they should be preached if there are things that we're doing that God doesn't expect us to do and as well if there's things we should be doing that we're not we're going to see what the Bible's got to say Today, I want to talk to you about the stone of Abel. The stone of Abel. What I'm going to talk about today is the altar. Now, the altar is something that uh, in a lot of places is is a place where as soon as the opening bell starts in the church, somebody's going up to the altar during prayer, and that's fine. Uh, someone's going up there during worship, and that's fine. Uh, I even at times down through the years, when a preacher would get to preaching on something that I'd been dealing with and sitting there a few minutes knowing that God was talking through this guy because there was no way that he would know any of this stuff I've been dealing with. There's been times down through the years where I've gotten up from my seat, walked right down the aisle, and laid right on my face at the altar while he kept preaching. Because sometimes God will get on you so heavy, you just got to do something. So what I want to teach about today is the altar, the stone of Abel. God didn't make the world as we know it today. Cemeteries, courthouses, drive-by shootings, school shootings, those are all man's failures. To find how God intended this world to be, you have to read the first three chapters of Genesis. Where not only did God create man, but he created a place for him to live. 
He planted the Garden of Eden, filled with good things. There was nothing bad there. There was no danger. There was no sickness, no death, no tears, no sorrow. Surrounded by creation specifically designed for man's enjoyment. It's impossible to imagine the reality of the garden. Utterly perfect. Not one harmful thing. People could live forever in peace and harmony. Surrounded by joy and love. This was the Garden of Eden. Now the most important and special thing that was in this garden was that man had a relationship with God. Forget the waterfalls, the trees, the skies, the flowers. And if it was a perfect garden, us living in this area, no, there had to be some mountains there somewhere. But even as beautiful as all those things were, remember that what made Eden paradise was that every day in the cool of the evening, the Bible says, the voice of God walked in the garden. Imagine, it's the cool of the evening. It's a beautiful end to a day. And Adam and Eve, Adam's done with his work and he's been in the garden working and the sun's starting to go down. And then a time like that, that God would come walking through the garden. And he didn't come to see the incredible beauty that he had made. It wasn't the waterfalls. It wasn't the mountains. And it wasn't the flowers that caused God to walk in the garden. He didn't come to see any of that. He came to see the ones that he had made all that for. God came to fellowship with mankind in this world. God not only designed us so we could live forever... He didn't just design a perfect place for us to enjoy, but he designed all of this so he could be with us. This was God's design for man. Not just a perfect place, not just a long life, but a relationship, walking in the cool of the day, communing with God, walking with God. It's no wonder that mankind is miserable in this day we live in. It isn't just sickness. It isn't just sorrow and violence. It isn't just the remnant of a judged world. It's because without relationship with God, man never realizes his purpose. Without relationship with God, no joy is complete. No purpose ever fulfilled. It's only when we walk with God, when we talk with God, when we have a relationship with God, that we can be what God designed us to be. I wonder if Adam and Eve even realized that their relationship with God was the most awesome thing in their lives. I wonder today, are there times we forget that the most awesome thing in our lives is that relationship with God? Because I'm quick to answer when somebody asks me, what, what is the biggest blessing you have in your life? And see, that's the question we're asked. Blessing. We're seldom asked about the blesser. And I'm quick to say, the thing that I cherish the most is my marriage. is my relationship with Kitty. Because we're friends, not just husband and wife. And because 
when we get to choose to do something, we, we choose to do it with each other. When we pick somebody to hang out with, we choose to hang out with each other. So I know that I've been guilty in times past of not remembering that the most awesome thing I have in my life is my relationship with God. Because I can tell you right now, I could still cherish the way Kitty treats me, but if I didn't have my relationship with God, it wouldn't be long before she didn't cherish the way that I treated her. And anything we see in our life that we value and cherish and we know is good, we've got to remember that the only reason it is as good as it is is because of the relationship with God that stands behind that thing. Because when you have a relationship with God, you'll treat your wife like Jesus did the church that he would die for. That means you'll put her first even when you don't want to. When you have a relationship with God and you're the wife in a marriage, there'll be times where you'll think, well, man, I don't think that's going to turn out well, but he just got his mind made up that's going to work. And because you have a relationship with God, you don't buck up against it continually. You say, okay, you're the head of the house according to that book, and I've got a relationship with the author of that book, so we'll give it a whirl that way. And when you've got a relationship with God if his idea was the wrong idea when it blows up in his face because you've got a relationship with God you don't stand back and say well if you'd have just did it the way I told you to it's okay it's always quiet right there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Adam and Eve even realized for real that their relationship with God was the most awesome thing in their life. It wasn't tame lions that you could pet like, like your cat this morning. Imagine getting up and walking along with your pet lion and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Right. I mean, Kitty would be in, it wouldn't be the Garden of Eden. She'd be in heaven right there. <laughs> I mean, the most awesome thing wasn't the lack of disease. It wasn't even the fact there was a tree of life in the middle of the garden they were in. It was the fact that God was what made life worth living. Amen. People think sometimes if only this could be that way, if only that could be this way, if only that hadn't happened to me, if only I was over there instead of over here, if only we could be in a perfect place, we would be happy, everything would be all right. But the truth is, the only man, the only time man did live in a perfect world, he still wasn't happy. Somehow, Adam and Eve allowed discontent to enter their heart when they lived in paradise. When they had everything their heart desired, everything man could ever want, everything we're all hoping we get when we're rewarded at the end of this life, and they were still dissatisfied and unhappy. People are always trying to change the circumstances around them, believing that will bring contentment. Can I tell you today, contentment is never the result of circumstance. It's the result of attitude. Happiness and contentment are not the result of chance. They are the result of choice. It was Paul that said, Whatsoever state I find myself in, I have learned to be content. Somehow, he learned to be content 
when he was in a dungeon with Silas with his back laid open and his feet shackled and his hands shackled, he was content enough to start singing praise unto the God that most people would think had failed him. Mm. As incredible as it sounds to us, Adam and Eve sinned because they wanted to eat, you ready for this, of that one tree that sat in a garden of a million trees. They laid awake at night and worried and fretted about eating from the one tree they were told they could not have. They had everything else, but because of that one tree, they were unhappy and unsatisfied with all that God had given them. If they had have lived forever, they still probably couldn't have eaten from all the different types of trees that were there in that garden, but they worried about that one tree until that one tree cost them everything. It was much more fundamental than their desire to eat of the forbidden tree. The heart of the matter is they were dissatisfied with the role that God had given them. They didn't want to be human. They wanted to be God. Sounds like a lot of pulpits. And when the devil told them they could be like God, that's all they wanted to hear. I'm not happy being a dresser of the garden. I'm not happy here working in the garden. I don't want to be what I am. I want to be something else. I got to tell somebody today that wherever God puts us, we need to learn to fulfill our role. And as I testify to you today with me and God hornswoggle me with flashmob first and then the role of legitimate pastor, sometimes it takes a little while to walk into the fulfillment of our role because sometimes God will call us into things that we would never sign up for. And I need to say this. The idea that God visits everybody in the church with a burden to do a specific thing is false theology. Well, I would help with that van ministry, but I just don't have a burden for it. Well, I would help with that. Now, we're, I'm talking about things we don't have, so that way nobody's going to feel attacked today, right? I would help with that nursing home ministry, but I just don't have a, a burden for it. God doesn't have to visit us with a specific burden to do a specific thing. He said to go out into all the world and teach everybody. There's our burden. I want to say too that in the 30 years that I've been around this thing, the rarest gift in the church today is the gift of helps. All the other gifts sound powerful and anointed and dramatic and they got flair in them. But you know the one I've learned to cherish personally the most? Is the gift of helps. Just somebody that you know that, man, if I need help with this, I know I can pick up the phone and if they can, they're going to help me. 
That is the rarest gift in the church. One reason why is because most pastors, they don't recognize that gift. If you can't stand up and have a flicker of a big lighter above your head when you testify, they don't recognize anything else as a gift. If you can't stand up and preach the fire down, if you can't stand up and sing, and everybody hears angels going, then they don't see any gifts. But I'm here today to tell you that just because... You don't have the big lighter fire above your head and can't preach the pain out the walls or sing the glory down. Does not mean you don't have a gift. If you can help, you got a gift. Amen. One that I cherish above all others. Because you know what? When you've got the attitude that just says, I just want to help, you almost generally do just about anything you can to help. But if you think the only thing that you can do is whatever you've got a burden to do, most people in that situation, well, that's, I'm called to be the preacher. I, got, I can't be going to the nursing home. I'm busy. I've got to study. I'm called, to, I'm called to be the Sunday school teacher. I can't, you know, I can't do that other thing over there, even though we need it and somebody needs it. I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have the burden for it. So if you're here today and you've been feeling like the you ain't got a gift or you ain't got an anointing. That's not true. Because there ain't anybody in this church family that's not helped at one time or another. Right. And some of you help so much, you've got to put the hand up and say, I'm good for the day. <laughs> okay. Adam and Eve were unhappy with the role God had given them. So they plucked the fruit that promised to make them gods. And instead of becoming gods, they became less than men. They fell from where they were and did not ascend. Hear me, that one thing that we think if we just had, if that just gets complete, then everything will be all right. And we start to ignore all the things we already have and we're already blessed with. Nine times out of 10, when we make a move for that one thing, not only does that not satisfy and fulfill or get us any closer to God, it usually causes us to fall farther away from God than we were without it. So they lost everything. And they started with discontentment. It brought sorrow, sickness, and death. And most of all, they lost their relationship with God. The last time he walked in the garden was to call them from their hiding place. I've been called from my hiding place. I would like to say it only happened once. I've hid from God. Tells you how smart I am, Travis. Hid from God. <laughs> I've hid from God more than once and been called from my hiding place by God more than once. And the last time they were called by Him, He called them from their hiding place to dress them and send them from the garden. And it may mean nothing, but there was no scripture that says Adam and Eve ever offered a sacrifice to God. I won't go so far as to say they had no relationship with God after the garden, but Adam is one of the few patriarchs in the Bible that never stood next to an altar. Never. And I can't be sure, but I wonder if they had reached a place of so many in the world today who talk about God but do not know Him, who recognize His workings in the world and will even tell you He's coming soon but have no relationship with Him. As years passed, God's presence became a distant memory. The good old days, the way it used to be. 
And maybe the only God their children ever heard of was a God in their parents' stories. A God who used to be a friend. A God who used to walk in the garden. A God who used to talk to us, but no more. They had lost it all. And God was a fading memory. Now I'm going to bring something to your attention and we can argue about it later. I don't really care. Speaking of their children, in Genesis 5, it says Adam lived 130 years and begat a son and called his name Seth. Not Cain, not Abel. Seth was third. Why no mention of the first two? Some have said it was because Cain killed Abel. <coughs> Abel died. Cain was banished. So in the mind of God, they never existed. I might buy that about Cain, but I can't buy that about Abel. Abel who was righteous. Abel who was faithful. Abel who sealed his testimony with his blood. Who still speaks to us today. Did not disappear from the mind of God. Why then are they not there? 130 years and he begat Seth. Not from creation. From the garden. Aging did not start until after the garden. So could it be it doesn't list Cain and Abel? Because they were born before the 130 years began to be counted? I don't know. Some said there were no children in the garden. But I read that it was while they were still in the garden, God said, be fruitful and replenish the earth. Why not children in the garden? I don't know. Could it be that Cain and Abel were children when God still walked in the garden? When God still talked with them and they still loved him? Were they only children held by the hands of their parents when that fiery sword was used to cast them from the garden and Adam and Eve were driven from the presence of God? What a terrible thing it is for children when their parents backslide and walk away from God. Could it be that in those boys' heart there was a knowledge, there was a fading memory Maybe they were only children the last time the trees rustled with the presence of God. The last time the golden sun set as God spoke to his children. Could it be they had a dim memory? I don't know. But I do know there was something different about these boys. Abel had a hunger in him that I don't find in his parents or in his brother. And I ask you this. Where did Cain learn to bring an offering to God. There is no Bible that says his daddy ever did. Could it be this young boy once heard the voice of God and had the attitude, let others forget? I can't. I felt him once. I want to feel him again. I heard him once. I want to hear him again. I was in his presence once. I want to be back in his presence again. As somebody that backslid way back down the road, I can tell you I know what it is to sit at the table one day and look in your wife's eyes while tears are rolling down both your faces and all you know is I wish I could feel him again. I wish I could be in his presence again. I wish it was like it used to be. I want to be in his presence Again, all I really know is Abel's hunger for God led him to an altar. His hunger for God caused him 
to construct a place of sacrifice, dying, worship, and prayer. And it was there he laid the firstlings of his flock. Now, Brother Cain thought it was a neat idea to be religious. He thought it was great to entertain the presence of God, to be in God's graces. The difference was Abel hungered for God and didn't care what it cost or what route it took or what it took to find him. Cain hungered for God, but he hungered in a different way. I'll take you, God, but on my terms. It's the way I want you, God. I'll bring you a sacrifice, but it'll be what I want to give. Let me help somebody. If it's what I want to give, it ain't a sacrifice. Because a sacrifice, I'm not talking about money. Everybody went, ah. It's not a sacrifice to God if it's something I want to give. Because my flesh don't want to sacrifice nothing. Cain didn't give the firstlings of what he had. He just gave some. And that was going to have to be good enough, God. Cain had the idea. Abel, you just carried it too far. All this. Now I'm going to talk about some stuff we ain't seen yet. But I'm telling you right now in Jesus' name, you stick around here and you're going to see this sooner or later. Cain had the attitude. They carry it too far. All this aisle running, all this dancing, all this hand clapping, all this shouting and hollering. You just don't have to do that. And Abel had the attitude, all I know is when I run the aisle, somebody's running with me. All I know is when I lift my hands, something's up there. And I don't want to bring them back down. All I know is when I go to that altar, somebody meets me there. And I like it. And Abel said, I want to hear him again. And if I can only hear him in the aisle running, I'm going to run. If I can only find him in the jumping, I'm going to jump. If I can only find him in the dancing, I'm going to dance. Because all I know is I want God. Now, there's easier ways. And they're all broad. And they all lead to the same place except one. And that one leads to an altar. I don't know where Abel got the idea for an altar. All I know is that those who really hunger for the presence of God will get there. So Abel stacked rocks and he offered blood and death and dying and God accepted his offering. Hear me today. You can't find any New Testament that says we have an altar up by the pulpit. And when the service is over, the preacher tries to say something that will draw you up here to meet God. You can't find it. But you also can't find where anybody told Abel to bring the firstling of his flock and lay it out on a rock. But you know what to do find? Is when Abel came up with that, 
God honored it and met him at that altar. And I'm telling you right now, God meets us at an altar. It ain't just for people that have never given their hearts for God. You know who it's for? For people that want to keep their hearts for God. It's for people that hear a message and say, well, I ain't struggling with that today, but I don't know what tomorrow holds, so I'm going to come up to the altar and say, God, it's me standing here. I need you to put something down inside of me because I don't know what tomorrow holds. And God honors the altar. He honors it. He honors it. And it cost Abel everything. But he left a legacy that is spoken down through the ages. And I'm getting there. If you all freeze it, you can turn that thing up, down, tear it off the wall, do whatever you got to be comfortable. <clears throat> he left a legacy that's spoken down through the ages because no matter how bad it got, hear me, no matter how dim the light, no matter how few the faithful, there has always been those who hungered after God and when no one else found Him, they found a way. When no one else could tell them how, they stumbled on until they came to an altar and touched God. Once, there was only one preacher and his family in the whole world, but they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Once, it was one man in an idolatrous world, but he heard his name called, and he left his father's house, and he became a friend of God. Once an entire nation, it was one man tending sheep on the backside of the desert. But he walked with God and his face shined with the glory of God. And when God said, when I talk to that man, I'm going to talk to him like a man does his friend. But there's always been somebody. There's always somebody in a world drunk on its own pleasure, lost in its sin. Thank God there's still somebody today whose hands still go in the air in worship. There's still somebody today that'll come up to an altar and stand there until they feel God change something on the inside. Thank God there's still an altar. The darkness of night, man has stumbled down through time. Sometimes only one. Sometimes just a handful. Read your Bible. It's not just a story of man finding God, but it's a story of God reaching through the darkness for man, a <laughs> God so hungry to walk again in the cool of evening with somebody that he met him in the desert. He met him in idolatrous cities. He met him in tents. He met him on mountaintops wherever anybody was willing to walk the path of death and dying and sacrifice. God would walk that path and meet them there. God was so hungry to be with man that he told them to make a box. But she was wondering when we was getting to the scripture. Make that box two by two. The Ark of the Covenant. The box was inlaid with gold. On the top, the mercy seat with cherubim over it. On each side, a ring for the staves to pass through. So the box could be carried on the shoulders of the ministry. Hear me. The presence of God is still meant to be carried on the shoulders of the ministry. 
That doesn't mean that anybody can't walk with God. But what it does mean is the man of God or anybody used in the service to do anything should always carry that presence of God with them. And you ain't always going to feel it in a goosebump. You're not always going to feel it in the fire when they're preaching or they're singing. But you will always hear it in the tone of their voice when you talk to them and you have a need. You will always see it in their eyes when they ask you if there's something they can do to help you. The presence of God was intended to be mounted on the shoulders of the ministry. And if we don't carry the presence of God, starting right here, we got no business trying to minister to anybody. Because without Him, we can't help anybody. We can give them good advice. We can give them good Bible verses. But we can't help them make contact with that power of God that they need to change their lives. So hear me. If you got to take time away from studying the next sermon to spend time alone with God to ensure you have His presence, Leave the notes alone and spend time with God. If you have to put away the guitars and the keyboards and put the music away for a while in order to ensure that when you pull the guitar out and you pull the keyboard out that that presence of God rests on those songs, then put all those things away and spend time in the presence of God. But isn't it sad how people change things? It wasn't the ark. It wasn't the mercy seat. It wasn't the cherub that made this box special. It was God that said, I'll live there. My presence will be there on the mercy seat. My Shekinah glory will dwell there. Why? Because I want to be among my people. I want to walk with them. I want a relationship with man. But down through time, man began to worship the things of God more than the God of things. I've seen this happen in the apostolic church. I've seen people in pulpits that have the worst stinkingest rotten attitudes of anybody that just came in the door out of prison for the first time. I've seen them sitting on pianos. I've seen them behind guitars. I've seen them in the microphone. But because they could preach real good or because they could play real good or because they could sing real good, the rotten attitude and the bad spirit was ignored because somewhere along the line they got the idea that it's the thing we do that's more important than the one we do it to. But I'm here today to tell you, it's the one we serve. He's more important than the preacher preaching a sermon. He's more important than the song on a guitar, than the voice coming out of a microphone. And the day we leave him behind will be the day we don't step in the pulpit, we don't hold the guitar, and we don't sing in the microphone because we're going to keep God first they began to worship the rituals of God more than the God of the rituals the box of God more than the God of the box and the glory still shivered there but they still didn't understand the hunger of God for more than a ritual hear me God wants more than just a ritual with us 
If I meet him every day at the same time and say the same words and get done in the same amount of time, that's not a coincidence. That's a ritual. If I got to not pray in my house and wait till I get in my car on the way to work and pray on the way to work, it might not be as in-depth as it is in my house. But I guarantee you, when that person cuts me off in traffic and I almost get baptized in my coffee, I'm going to find something new to pray about. <laughs> Odd, once more, than a ritual. So some of y'all been feeling pretty measly about your prayers, been feeling like your prayer life's been pretty measly. Let me tell you something. If you're having a conversation with God, it ain't measly. Amen. Amen. It might not be this thing where you're in your prayer closet and you're stomping and snorting and by God waving that towel and you sound like an Indian laundromat and somebody opens the door and fire rolls out the door. It might not be that. But if you're carving out time out of every single one of your days, just say, God, I got nothing new today to say, but I think I'm going to take the cue from Jimmy Wells. Oh, I'm going to say today, God, thank you. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you I got a job to go to. Thank you I got a spouse that loves me. Thank you I can still pray to you. And thank you, God, that you hear me when I pray. On these days... I catch us getting into rituals. I'm going to come in here and preach first and do worship last and watch everybody get all freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm getting there. I promise. Blessing. So praise God. Should I throw something? I was in one place and I'm almost done. This lady said, Amen. I don't know what time she maybe the whole time. I don't know what <laughs> Okay, alright. So we're in a story today. The Ark of the Covenant had been lost. So they put the box back on cows crying for their babies, led by an unseen hand, and the cart made its way back to God's people. He came back to them, riding on a wooden cart, drawn by a couple milk cows. Nature dictated those cows would turn back to Philistia and go back where their babies were crying for them. But it wasn't nature guiding those cows. It was God himself with a hunger. There wasn't very many people back in Israel hungering for God. But even though they were backslid, there was a God hungering for the people back in Israel. That cart could have gone anywhere. It could have gone back to Shiloh. Back to that tattered tent that was a tabernacle in the wilderness. It could have gone anywhere. But let me tell you where God chose to go when He wanted to be with His people. There were some Israelis working in a field. It was a field of Joshua. And they were bringing in the harvest. Oh, God's timing, huh? It was getting toward the end of the day. The cool of the evening, if you will. And they hear two cows coming up the road. They shield their eyes from the evening sun because God is riding in the evening today. And there's two cherubim still bowed over the mercy seat. And the presence of God is coming back home. And they're startled when the cows don't keep going on down the road. But they turn off the road and come right into the field where Joshua and his men are toiling. And these were not outstanding leaders. These weren't religious officials. This wasn't near Jerusalem. It's just a field. 
In the middle of that field was a great rock, a great stone, the Bible calls it. The cows pulled that cart right up to that stone until the cows could pull it no more. And they were right against that stone as if God said, this is where I want to be. And those men called for the leaders. They called for those who could touch that box. They chopped up the wood. They offered the cows. God had provided himself a sacrifice. The book says that they left the presence of God. They left the ark of God right where he chose to rest. And the name of that stone was the stone of Abel. God had come full circle from one young man who got an idea one day, I'm going to build an altar to God. One young man that hungered after God and stumbled upon the way to meet him. Down through the long years, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, until it came all the way back. And God said, you forgot. You didn't know where to find me. I became a good luck charm. But now I'm back where I belong. I'm back at the altar. I'm back where it started. I'm at the stone of Abel. God said, I'm back where you can always find me. There's blood. There's sacrifice. There's worship. When God picked his resting place, he always chose an altar. And God has not changed. If we're going to rediscover the old fire we hear people talk about mm, back down yes. the road, they called it yes. down at an altar. And if we really want it today, we're going to call it down at an altar of yes. prayer. Yes. At an altar. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to rediscover the relationship with God we once knew. It'll be at the altar of sacrifice, worship, and praise. The stone of Abel. It'll be back to that simple young man or that simple young woman late to church one night. Her and her friend are late running, doing errands. I'm still in prison. I don't know nothing about it. It's church night, Wednesday night. Ain't that right? Wednesday night Bible study. You ain't supposed to have an altar in midweek Bible study. You don't know folks got to work in the morning. Well, Kitty didn't know that. She wasn't in church yet. And they're driving around and they're late. And they start singing the choruses they did know. Didn't know me back then. And they sing them all the way to church. And Kitty said, all I know is I'm going to the altar tonight. And I'm not leaving until I get the Holy Ghost. And they came in the door. And when it was time, Kitty and that lady went to the altar. The lady quit after a few minutes. Kitty didn't quit. And the ladies of the church gathered around. Let me tell you something today. We're going to make a policy around here and I'm going to need you to help me. But we're going to have a covenant with God and with each other. There will never be a day when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl comes down to an altar to pray and pray alone. Yeah. It don't matter if you don't know mm -hmm. them. They don't know you. And they had the guts to get up yeah. and come down in front of a room full of strangers because they're desperate to touch God. So when they get there, all you got to do is put a hand on their back. 
Don't shake them. Don't scream in their ear. You don't even have to say nothing. All you got to do is stand behind them. And I'm telling you right now from personal experience, when you feel that hand on you, all of a sudden you know this is a place where people care about people. These people don't even know me. And some lady I know that don't even know me come up here now and got her hand on me. She don't know me. This place must be real. Nobody prays at an altar alone. Them ladies gathered around Kitty and they tag teamed. Because it took a while. She can tell you the names of the ladies that did That's back in 1991. Kitty probably can't tell you what we had for supper three days ago. But she can tell you who prayed for her at that altar until she got the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because you never forget who prays with you at an altar. That's the bond. Say, amen. All right, last part. Abel never spoke a word in Genesis. Huh? Nothing. Cain spoke a lot. Abel never had a voice in Genesis. But thousands of years later, Though he had no voice in Genesis, he finds one in Hebrews 11 and 4 that says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God, testifying of his gifts, hear this, he being dead, yet speaketh. Not one voice that he's living in this world. Not one word from Abel. But what Abel did in an altar speaks thousands. You hear me about your kids now? Hear me about your grandbabies now? Hear me about your spouses, whoever it is you've been praying for, and it seems like they ain't listening. Well, you're praying words that ain't ever going to disappear when you pray in an altar for them. And if you don't see it happen while you're here, Jimmy Wells, then prayers you pray at an altar are going to keep on speaking and keep on dealing with whoever it is you come up here and bring to this altar. Abel was never baptized no kind of way. Abel didn't have no kind of Holy Ghost. But y'all folks up in here, you got the real deal. That's your standard. Abel never found a voice in Genesis but he speaks in Hebrews and it still speaks today Stacy came in church this morning and said man I got a good song for altar call I said what's it about she said the altar I said woohoo <laughs> Abel still speaks for every hungry soul that cries out for living water. Every voice that says, I'm tired of hypocrisy. He cries out for every hungry soul that cries out for living water. Abel still speaks. 
He speaks for every person and says, I'm tired of church games. I'm tired of the rules man has added to this faith. Let me find God. A table that points the way. It's the altar. And Abel says, that's where you will find him. He still speaks for every wife that comes alone and leaves a husband at home. Every husband that comes alone and leaves a wife at home. Every child who prays and serves God, even when mom and dad don't. He points to the altar and says, that's where you will find him. <clears throat> he speaks to every person that ever lost a relationship with God. The altar is where you'll find him. Whatever it is you have need of in your life, God says, I'll be at Abel's place. God will meet you every time you go. If it's during worship service and you had a rotten day, you can have a whole day before church. I know. And it could be rotten. But you can come in here when worship starts. You can come up here and just stand. Yeah. It ain't all about jumping jacks either, man. You can just come up here and just stand. And you stand here long enough and talk to God long enough from here. Or you can move your lips if you want to. But you stand up there long enough, talk to him long enough, pretty soon you're going to feel all that stuff got piled on to you. Just go. Fall right off. Fall right off. <laughs> So the altar isn't just a place we come when we have a sin. Quite the contrary. If we visit the altar often enough, there'll be some sins that won't come our way because we spend a lot of time at Abel's place. So I'm just going to ask you today. You want to start that? Oh, yeah, let me say this. If you're ever doing worship here, and it's altar time, and you don't want to play because you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. Because we'll figure out how to do this without you. We love you. It's better with you. But if you need to come to the altar, I've been too many places. I've been some of them off and on over 20 years and never have seen the piano player at an altar. Never have seen the guitar player say, you know what, man, I got some guitar down tonight, boy. I got to give me some of this. Yeah. You know what I like? I feel safe and comfortable somewhere where all of a sudden you'll hear the keyboards get all crazy and ain't got nothing to do with the song. Yeah. And you look over this because she's got her head in the air and she's bawling. Finally, she's like, just get away, says, leave me alone. A guitar player, all of a sudden you don't hear the guitar in the morning. Look, he's got his hands in the air. Gonna have to buy a strap for that. <laughs> That's a good idea. Say it. <laughs> right. There's going to be a day when you're going to hear the guitar stop. We're going to look over this going because right. the guitar player's got his hands in the air. So I'm going to invite you today. If it's been a while, hey, look, I don't spit nobody's face. I don't jerk nobody back and forth. I don't do none of that. He's God. 
You know, when you come up here praying for one thing, you have to leave praying for a sprained neck. But if you got something you need to bring up here today, or if you just ain't been here in a while and you want to come up to the altar, why don't you come on up today and meet God in this place? Was at the end of my road. Oh, yeah. I looked at man and he let me down. My dreams are scattered on the ground. Found an altar one day. I got down. Everybody here, Father, to the families. And now I and I thank you for this good man that you have blessed us with, Father. And I ask you to bless them, Father. Lord, anything in their life is hard today. Help them. Anything is difficult today, Father. Move in, God. I ask you to visit their children today. Speak their children's names, Oh, speak their wise things. Just keep on and pray. Bless these good men today. Lord, broken I hearts, broken dreams. Let Jesus fix it. He's the key. He's the